and we're back again for another episode. I just finished my drink. Hello. <laughs> Gosh, you like snarfed that thing down. Yeah. You're like, yes, give it to me, all mm-hmm. of it. Um, hi, welcome back. Hey, welcome. It's another episode of the All Things Strange podcast. Yes, yes, I'm it is. Brittany. I'm Kristen. And this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything strange, anything weird, anything that makes us think, mm-hmm. I guess, is yes. what we're calling this now. Um, last week we did medical mysteries. This week we're doing shaman or shaman-like people. <laughs> like ramen but shaman shaman <laughs> ramen um I, i've seen a lot of different um explanations on what shaman really are i've seen them as like medicine men and healers i've seen them as people who bring ecstasy and good fortune i've seen them as those who walk the shadow realm just like there's so mm-hmm. many different um ways that this could go i really struggled on which way I wanted to go, change last minute, change it again last minute, and now I'm just like, whatever comes out of my mouth is coming out of my mouth. Hopefully okay. not bile. Do you do you want to do yours first? Nope. <laughs> no? No, I don't want to do mine first, uh, just because it might be a little weird, but you can go ahead and do yours first. Okay. Because I have no problem. I went first last time anyways, so. Okay, mine is on one of the most famous shaman of all time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Grigory Rasputin. <gasps> oh! Yeah, I was so excited. That's he, incredible. He is so fascinating yes, to me. Yes, he is. So don't let this scare you. <laughs> I just highlighted the the, the d- different points. Um, so Rasputin, he was a gentleman who... A gentleman? Well, really? I don't, I'm using that. I'm getting kind of free and loose with that term. <laughs> um, so he was born... As a peasant in a small village of, I can't even. It's the, he's from Russia, so my apologies. Pokrovskoy. Mm, Pokrovskoy. Pokrovsky. Pokrovsky. Yeah, yeah, that place. So um, we're just gonna call it hometown. <laughs> yes, hometown. <laughs> yes, and that nice little place is. Um, it was. It's in Siberia. Oh. Yeah, so way the fuck out there. Really? Yes. He was born the 21st of January in 1869. Um, So I got most of the stuff off of Wikipedia. I've watched numerous, numerous things about Rasputin. Um, You know what my favorite one is? What? Anastasia. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like the little bat. (laughs) That's funny. Bartok! He's, he's kind of a mystery. I mean, his uh, his early youth and adulthood, a lot of it is speculation. And it, uh, one gentleman, a historian named Douglas Smith, he said that his early adulthood and childhood is a black hole about which we mo- know almost nothing. So his, his most historians agree that, like most Siberian present, peasants, uh, Rasputin was never formally educated and he remained illiterate well into his adulthood. Yeah. Um yeah, into his early... That's just not crazy. uncommon, Mm-mm. either. Not so. in the early... No. So, local archival records suggest that he had somewhat unruly youth, um, possibly involving drinking, small thefts, uh, disrespect for local authorities, you know, just being yeah. a dick. Uh, but they don't... But a lot of people start a lot of rumors when it comes to Rasputin. And one of the things that they said that he was in charge, that he did was like steal horses and blasphemy, bearing false witness when he was a little kid. There's no evidence. Okay. So all major crimes, those were all just rumored. Um, in 1886, Rasputin traveled to Abalok where he met a peasant girl named Preskovia Dubrovina. Yeah, let's okay. do that. After a courtship of several months, they married in February 1887. Um, we'll call her Prasky. She remained in <laughs> she remained in hometown throughout Rasputin's later travels and rise to prominence. And she remained devoted to him until his death. Really? Yeah, so I found like, that interesting. They were hardly ever together, and she was like, mm-hmm. nah, dude, that's my husband. Yeah, and they had seven children. How? He was never there. <laughs> well, in the off time, in the off season, I guess. Um, but only three has survived into adulthood. Oh, that sucks. They're also saying that Rasputin himself was one of either seven, or one of eight, or nine. It's disputed, Jeez. and I, only two of them. Man. Him and one other girl. But the the girl that lived, the other girl, they're not even sure if she was really his sister. That would be really hard to prove yeah. in this day and age <coughs> without um, having all of that information. <coughs> oh. oh, my God. Excuse Gesundheit. me. Gesundheit. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, basically, Rasputin, what he decided, 
uh, as a young man, in 1897, he developed a renewed interest in religion. And he left his wife to go on a pilgrimage. And his reasons for doing so are unclear. There's a lot of speculation on that. Um, he was 28, and he had been married for 10 years. And he had an infant son with another child on the way when he did this. Oh, of course he did. Yeah. Right? Well. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Before this one, he had taken um, shorter pil pilgrimages to, uh, it's called the Holy Zamnensky Monastery at Alba Abalak and to the Dolpskys Cathedral. But his visit to the St. Nicholas Monastery um, in 1897 was transformative. There he was profoundly humbled by an elder known as Makaray. M-A-K-A-R-Y. Macaray? Macaray. Macaray. Hey, Macarena. I'm going to go with Macaray. It sounds more fun. Can we just call it Macarena? Yeah. Hey, Macaray. Macaray. <laughs> no. um, Rasputin, um, he may have spent several months at this um, this monastery, and it was perhaps here where he learned to le read and write. Okay. So that's when he started to become a little bit more literate, and then he, but he later um, complained about the monastery itself, claiming some of the monks engaged in homosexuality and criticizing monastic life as too coercive coercive um so he returned to his wife as a changed man and he looked disheveled that's when he started like growing out his hair a long beard all that fun stuff and he was behaving differently um he became a vegetarian swore off alcohol and prayed and sang much more fervently than he had in the past oh yeah so like so he was, was definitely a, a changed man definitely um, was it for the better? <laughs> no. Just kidding. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, Rasputin would spend the years that followed living as a, they call it a straniki. It's a holy wanderer or a pilgrim. And he would leave his wife for months or even years at a time to wander the country and visit a variety of different holy sites. Um, it's said that he may have even wandered as far as um, Athos, Greece. Really? Yes. The center of orthodox, orthodox monastic life in 1900. Wow. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting to think that this, he may have gone to Greece. His poor wife, man. She must have been so lonely. You know she had to have been hitting something on the side, though. I don't know, because if she was as religious as he was, maybe that's not. That's true. And um, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to read this paragraph to you because I thought it was fascinating. Okay. It says... <clears throat> By the early 1900s, Rasputin had developed a small circle of acolytes, primarily family members and other local peasants, who prayed with him on Sundays and other holy days when he was in his hometown. Building a makeshift chapel in Ephraim's root cellar, Ephraim was his father, he was still living with his father at the time, um, the group held secret prayer meetings there. These meetings were the subject of some suspicion and hostility from the village priest and other villagers. It was rumored that the villagers had that the female followers were ceremoniously washing him before each meeting, that the group sang strange songs that the other villagers had not heard before, and even that Rasputin had joined the Kailistai. Um, it's a religious sect whose ecstatic rituals were rumored to include self-flagellation and sexual orgy. Oh. Yeah. According to um, another historian, Joseph Furman, Repeated investigations failed to establish that Rasputin was ever a member of that particular sect. Yeah. But, it's, but a lot of the rumors were that he was practicing things like them. <clears throat> so even though that's unfounded, but, that's, still, but that kind of gives you where he was at with the villagers. So he's creating his own little secret cult, basically. Yeah. He's a cult leader. And these are tiny, <laughs> this is early 1900s, so like these are tiny little villages yeah. where the religious life, that's... That was you also, that was everything within your little society. If you didn't go to church, then you weren't part of the community. Yeah, in the, back in those times, in those small communities, religion came before family. It came before, <clears throat> it came before work. It came mm -hmm. before breathing, basically. Was, breathing, eating, basic human need. Um, yeah, he basically yeah. just started his own cult. Basically. And if you weren't part of the community, then nobody would help you when you were in trouble. And back then, that could mean death. Yeah, <clears throat> for something so, as easy as a slice on the arm, you know. So that's kind of his early life, what he did. Um, so f part of um, him rising to prominence is the word of his charisma and activities that began to spread in Siberia during the early 1900s. And between 1902 and 1904, he traveled to the city of Kazan on the Volga River, where he acquired a reputation as a wise and perceptive starret or holy man. 
who could help people resolve their spiritual crisis and anxieties. Um, so there was a lot of rumors going around that he was having sex with some of his uh, female followers. But he went over, despite those rumors, he went over the Father Superior of the Seven Lakes Monastery outside of Kazan, as well as the local ch church officials at, I can't even say this, Archimandrite Andre and Bishop Chrysothianos. Sure. who gave him a letter of recommendation to Bishop Sergei, and he was the rector of the St. Peter's Theological Seminary. And so they arranged for him to go to St. Petersburg. So now this is where he's starting to make his connections. Yeah. And this upon, is where all the famous <clears throat> shit is starting to come Exactly. And this guy is very prominent. He has a lot of connections. So not only is he like a cult leader... In a sense, he's basically a con man because if he has all of these rumors going around him and yet he still managed to persuade these higher ups that he is a good, decent man. But maybe it was just because he was so mystic. Maybe. That's very true, too. I don't know. There's a lot of mystery mystic surrounding pizza. him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Upon meeting Sergei at the Nevsky Monastery, he is a rescue and he was introduced to a lot of different higher ups within the church. Um... And he was introduced to Archimandrite Feofan, and he was the inspector of the theological seminary, and he, he was well-connected within St. Petersburg society, okay. hence his doorway. And <clears throat> he later, this Arch, Archimandrite Feofan, he later served as a confessor for the Tsar and his wife. Whoa. Yeah. So Feofan was so impressed with Rasputin that he invited him to stay at his house. Really? It, yes, in St. Petersburg. That's a big deal. And he became a very uh, important and influential friend for him mm -hmm. within St. Petersburg society. Um, <clears throat> by 1905, Rasputin had formed friendships with several members of the aristocracy. Aristocrat? Aristocracy. Aristocracy. It sounds weird when you say that. Aristocracy. 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 There we go. <laughs> Woo! Words. I do um, aristocracy too, so I'm just like, whatever. See, aristocracy. 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 Yes. Um, so <clears throat> some of these people that he met, they're called the Black Princesses, and they're called is, their names are Melista, Melista and Anastasia of Montenegro, and they married the Tsar's cousins. And they were instrumental in introducing Rasputin to the Tsar and his family. Alrighty then. Mm -hmm. So the first time Rasputin ever met the Tsar was on November 1st, 1905, at the Peterhof Palace, and the Tsar actually recorded this event in his diary, writing that he and Alexandra had made the acquaintance of a man of God, Gregory, from the Tobolsk province. And so then a few months went by. He didn't see the Tsars at all. He went back home for a while. And <clears throat> he returned in July 1906. Uh, however, Rasputin wrote several letters to the Tsar during this time. Okay. So he kept up with his... Lines of communications were still mm -hmm. open. And so for those of you who don't know, um, the, the Tsars, they had a young prince. His name was Alexei, and he was the heir to their... To, he was the supposed throne. to be the next Tsar. Yeah. Is it a throne? I guess no, it is. I mean, it probably is, but it's just easier just to say he's the heir to the throne. Yes. Not the English throne, but the Russian throne. <laughs> What's interesting about uh, Alexei is that he had um, hemophilia, where his, you know what hemophilia yeah. is, where your blood doesn't clot? Yeah. It's something to do with, like, either is it the white or red blood cells uh, where they won't clot? I think it's the red blood cells not clotting. Um, yeah. There's it's no very hemoglobin. dangerous. Right. Very, very dangerous, especially back then. Yeah, if you got a paper cut, you're screwed. Yeah, he was, it was scary. And they used to actually call that the, it was like the royal disease or something, because it started back with, was it Queen Victoria? I can't remember. I think it was, I, oh yeah, it was Queen Victoria, and that was Alexei's great-grandmother. But it started back in England, and it was like a only the rich noble families have it but they would keep it a secret and they kept it so secretive that uh and queen victoria was such a huge influence on the world uh -huh. that she would marry out her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren out into all of these other royal families yeah and so it became like a royal crisis throughout the world oh my gosh well yeah mm -hmm. you can't let other people know about that because your enemies are just going to come in here and slice off it's your weak, arm real quick and when yeah. you're um when you're crowned that's by the 
It's by God. It's by God. Yeah. Yes. It is by God that you were chosen. <laughs> exactly. And so he had hemophilia and um, he, and the doctors couldn't help him because it was the early 1900s. Um, the, when the doctors couldn't help Alexi, the Zarina, um, she looked everywhere for help. She ultimately turned to her best friend, Anna, uh, to secure the help of the charismatic peasant healer Rasputin in 1905. Oh. Yes. Um, so he was actually able to give the boy some relief in spite of the doctor's predictions that he would die. And every time the boy had an injury which caused him internal external bleeding, the Zarina, she would call in Rasputin, and the Zarovich subsequently got better. Um, this made it appear that Rasputin was effectively healing him. And some people say, uh, well, maybe he did it by hypnosis, but there was times when Rasputin wasn't around and Alexi would get hurt and he'd have some sort of bleeding issue. And Rasputin would send word, okay, you know, do things like keeping him calm, don't let the doctors interfere. So they just think that they he was allowing the boy to kind of heal by himself. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not buying that. So I don't know. Um, so basically, after all this, I mean, this was, this is the, they had a bunch of girls and Alexi, and Alexi was it. That was who's yeah. going to be the next czar. And so the czar, he ended up referring to Rasputin as our friend and a holy man. And that's a huge sign yeah. of the kind of confidence that the family placed in him. Well, obviously, if he, mm -hmm. you know, supposedly saved that kid, God knows how many times. Well, the czar and the czarina considered him a, like a holy prophet, uh, a, a god, a man of God and a religious prophet is what it says. Okay. Yeah, and Alexandra, the Zarina, she came to believe that God spoke to her through Rasputin. What? Yes, because <laughs> he was a holy man, and he was helping her son, and the doctors couldn't, so God was speaking to her. So okay. some of the controversy controversy that he was involved in, um, he soon became controversial, becoming involved in a paradigm of, of sharp political struggle involving monarchist, anti-monarchist, revolutionary, and other political forces and interests. He, he was accused by many eminent persons of various misdeeds, ranging from an unrestricted sexual life, including raping a nun, uh. to undue political domi domination over the royal family. So he, I mean, this was already like a really bad, like political and social time within yeah. Russia. And he, um, and he just was in the thick of it. Yeah. And people were pissed off. And <clears throat> so. Yeah, obviously he didn't just, make as many, you know, friends as he did enemies. Yeah. Like. Well, I don't know. Cause he had a lot of followers. You should see all these, I'll show you too. some of these pictures of a bunch of admirers that he has. Um, St. Petersburg in 1903, the city was wildly fascinated in general with mysticism and aristocrats were obsessed with anything occult. So this Makes is sense. also, um, actually we should probably even write this down too, but like around the time with the occult and mysticism during the late 1800s, early 1900s, so like Madame Blatsky, yeah. I believe was around this time as well. Um, <clears throat> while fascinated by, by him, the St. Petersburg elite did not actually like accept him for the most part uh he didn't fit in with the royal family and he, he and the russian orthodox church had a very strained relationship mm -hmm. very strained um in fact so strained that the holy synod frequently attacked Rasputin, accusing him of a, of a variety of immoral or evil practices and but because rasputin was in a was a court official he and his apartment were under 24-hour surveillance, mm -hmm. and accordingly, there exists some credible evidence about his lifestyle in the form of the famous, they're called stair staircase notes, and the reports from police spies, which were not given only to the czar, but published in newspapers. Really? Yes. Um, so, I would love to look those I, up. I didn't have yeah. time to look those up, but I would love to. That would be incredible, just to know who he was fucking and who yeah. he wasn't, and yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, so like Mer some, like many spiritually minded Russians, uh, Rasputin spoke of salvation as depending less on the clergy and on the church than seeking the spirit of the God within. Mm -hmm. Therein lies the conflict between him and the Orthodox Church. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So one thing that was really big was Rasputin was deeply opposed to war and both from a moral point and something which was likely led to political it led to political catastrophe. Um, during the years of World War One, 
Rasputin's increasing drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, and willingness to accept bribes in return for helping petitioners who flocked to his apartment, as well as his efforts to have critics dismissed from their posts made him appear increasingly cynical. Attaining divine grace through sin seemed to have been one of the central secret doctrines which Rasputin preached to and practiced with his inner circle of society ladies. During World War One, Rasputin became the focus of accusations of unpatriotic influence at court. The unpopular Zarina, meanwhile, who was of Anglo-German descent, was accused of acting as a spy in German employee. And so that's also another big deal is um, the Zarina. Yeah. She was not well-liked. No, no. It doesn't sound like it. She wasn't in general. So the fact that he was like her friend, that was like a strike against him automatically. Um, <clears throat> at one point, Rasputin said... Okay, well, if you're going to be sending these troops early in, um, in the war, he said, if you're going to be sending these troops out, I want to go out in front and bless them. And the commander-in-chief, who was the <laughs> Grand Duke Nicholas, he promised to hang him if he dared to show up. Oh. Yes. Like, keep the fuck away. <laughs> so then he got pissed off, Rasputin did, and he was like, all right, fine, okay, I have this revelation. Um, that the Russian armies will not be successful until the Tsar personally takes command. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's trying to, like, totally. So Grand Duke Nicholas basically got fucked over because he wouldn't let Rasputin come to yeah. Yeah, the field. And so with this, so with this, the ill-prepared Tsar Nicholas proceeded to take personal command of the Russian army oh, no. with dire consequences for himself as well as for Russia. Mm -hmm. And so... Because he was taking personal command, he was away a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's when Rasputin's influence over the Tsarina Alexandra increased. Oh, um, of course. He became her confidant and personal advisor. And he would actually fill some of the governmental offices with his own handpicked candidates. Um, Rasputin cohabitated, cohabitated with upper-class women in exchange for granting political favors. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> I made a little note. I said, thus beginning the domino effect of fucking shit up. <laughs> Seriously. seriously. <laughs> yes. So, so. I mean, shit, Americans do it to this day. Yeah, seriously, though. Um, look at this picture of him in the hospital. Fucking crazy Yikes. eyes, man. Anytime I see a picture of that man, his eyes, like, chill me. I'm, he's, uh, he's dark. Yeah. He's extremely dark. And he's got, like, <coughs> a me. very, like, sharp, sharp-lined face. Yes. And he's very just... uh, dramatic-looking. Yeah. And always. So on the 12th of July, 1914, a 33-year-old peasant woman named Chiona Gusteva attempted to assassinate Rasputin by stabbing him in the stomach outside his home. Oh. Um, they didn't think he was going to, but he did recover from the attack. And what they say is that Guseva, Gusteva was a follower of Iliodor, a former priest that had supported Rasputin before denouncing his sexual ex escapades and self-aggravinement. Agra I don't know what that what? means. What's that word? Help me. That's a, oh. I read it. I know what it means. Self-aggrandizement. Aggrandizement. Aggrandizement. Ag agitate? 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 Fuck me. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> And that is a one fuck of a word. I know. That snuck up on me. Sorry, guys. I mean, <laughs> you always think you're intelligent until you have to read shit out loud. I know. <laughs> God. At least when you're reading to yourself, you can just kind of glaze yeah. over it. So anyway, three years before this um, assassination attempt, um, in the December of 1911, this guy was like, he used to be his friend, and then he was like, uh, this guy's a fuck. No, yeah. don't. Um, so Iliodor, he'd been part of a group of establishment figures who attempted to drive a wedge between the royal family and Rasputin in 1911. And he, as a result, Iliodor, he was banished from St. Petersburg and was ultimately defrocked. So this dude had it out for yeah. Rasputin. Um, Guseva claimed to have acted alone, having read about Rasputin in newspapers and believing him to be a false prophet and even an antichrist. And somebody had to take care of it. That's right. So Eliodor actually fled the country before he could be questioned about the assassination attempt. Of and Guseva was found to be not responsible for her actions due to insanity. Of course. Yeah. Um, so according to his daughter Maria, Rasputin was very much changed by the experience and beginning, began to drink alcohol. But... It sounds like he was drinking a lot of alcohol before that. Yeah. He, like, gave it up, and then he didn't, 
And then suddenly he's like, oh, well, I have to drink in order to come to terms with my sins. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a, he was drinking the whole time is my thoughts. He maybe tried to give it up and then justified it. Yeah. Okay. So how he died. Okay. Very interesting. So, uh, so basically he was a shaman who was healing the... Which I guess I should be talking about, like, how he would, like, heal Alexi. But this is, this is just, like, his, his but story. But he is just so fascinating. Yeah. Um, Rasputin, he was murdered during the early morning of December of de- on December uh, 30th, 1916, at the home of Felix Yusupov. He died of three gunshot wounds, one of which was a close-range shot to his forehead. So this is a very interesting story. And this is all according to Felix. Um... He invited Rasputin to his home shortly after midnight and ushered him into the basement. And he offered Rasputin tea and cakes, which had been laced with cyanide. And it took... At first, Rasputin was like, no, I'm not going to eat those. Yeah. And um, Felix was like, come on, you know, it's fine. And so finally, eventually, Rasputin um, did eat one or two. But he wasn't affected by the poison. And then he asked for some Madeira wine, which had also been poisoned. So these people covered their fucking faces. Yeah. And he drank three glasses but still no signs of distress. I know. This is crazy. This is why he's a shaman. At around 2.30 a.m., um, Felix excused himself to go upstairs where his fellow conspirators were waiting. Um, They... the fi- he was like, this guy's not fucking dying. You yeah. guys, like, we cannot let him live. What do we do? So one guy named um, Dmitry Pavlo- Pavlovich, um, they gave him, uh, gave Felix a revolver. And so he returned to the basement. And referring to a crucifix that was in the room, he told Rasputin that he'd better look at the crucifix and say a prayer, then shot him once in the chest. And so he was like, okay, this guy's dead. we got to get out of here. So they drove at once um, to Rasputin's apartment. And one of the conspirators uh, was wearing Rasputin's coat and hat in an attempt to make it look as though... Rasputin was coming home. Exactly, for the night. Yeah. And upon returning home, Felix went back to the basement to ensure that Rasputin was dead. Suddenly, <laughs> Rasputin leapt up and attacked Felix, who, with some effort, freed himself and fled upstairs. Rasputin followed... After eating all this cyanide, cyanide and, and being, being shot, shot in the chest. Yes. And he made it to the palace's courtyard before being shot and and he collapsed into a snowbank. The conspirators then wrapped Rasputin's body in a cloth and drove it to Tr- Petrovsky Bridge and dropped it into the Neva River. Um, the Zarina Alexander, she ended up um, burying Rasputin's body in the grounds of this... Um, of the Tsarskio Silo, but after the February Revolution, a group of workers in St. Petersburg uncovered the remains and carried them to nearby woods and burned them. As the body was being burned, Rasputin appeared to sit up in the fire. Ah! Yeah, his apparent attempts to move and get up thoroughly um, horrified bystanders, and what they think actually happened was before they burned him they didn't cut the tendons oh no they shrunk yes they shrunk (laughs) so he did he sat up that would be so terrifying so that's not a lie which is really crazy to think about but yeah he fucking sat up you have to cut the tendons yep everybody i would have thought of that that. (laughs) yeah right just cut everything if it has a joint cut it no really Uh, that's that makes perfect sense that is fucking terrifying so that really um that that really fueled the legends and mystery surrounding him. He um, that was just according to Felix of how he yeah. died, though. But what they're saying is that it kind of looks like he was like beaten to a pulp, and there was a lot of stab wounds. There was a lot of bruising. They also say that he didn't have any cyanide or anything in his stomach. I don't know how they could possibly know all that after he'd been I, dead for so long. Yeah, I don't know, especially after being thrown in a river. I don't know enough like about a, forensics. Really, to, like waterlogged once you're thrown exactly. in a river. Exactly, and the, he did have some um, water in his lungs, but it was not. But it's a common, not specific autopsy finding. Okay, but here's the thing: if you're thrown into water when you're already dead, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily most of the time have water in your lungs it's Mm -hmm. only when you're still alive and still trying to breathe that you have water in your lungs so (laughs) so he didn't have a lot of it though it it wasn't anything to note is what they're saying that's still and so i don't know if it was as it's just it sounds like felix was just spinning tails i don't know but who knows they could have shot him in the chest just right to where it didn't quite hit anything mm -hmm. or maybe just nicked a thing or two um yeah because 
Um, I don't know. There are some, there's another theory. There's It's a British theory and that they suggest that the British Secret Intelligence Service were involved in his assassination. Um, part of the theory is that the agents were um, concerned that Rasputin was urging the Tsar to make separate peace with Germany and withdraw from the war. And this would allow Germany to transfer a large number of troops to the Western Front. Mm-hmm. And so that would fuck Britain's shit up in World War One. Yeah, and they wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Yes. And so that so they're just saying that uh, it's very possible that Brit- Britain was involved in that whole debacle. Very um, well could have been. So his daughter, um, actually, she immigrated to France after the October Revolution and then to the U.S., and there she worked as a dancer and then a tiger trainer in a circus. Whoa. <laughs> yes. She did leave memoirs about her father, um, but she painted an almost saintly picture of him. And uh, she is saying that a lot of this negative negativity is slander and misrepresentations. It's just interesting that a man would incite such... Rumor mongering. I mean, my thing is, is he probably d- did like most of it. But if she, if his daughter is anything like her mother, then she worships the ground that he oh, walks absolutely. on, You'd and have he to can, in order to stay with him. Well, and he can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. So she's gonna be like, no, it was all slander. Well, maybe not all of like all of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe a lot of it was true, and part of it was slander. That's how I feel. So it, it's just wow. Yeah, this I feel like only touched base. I actually watched yeah. this amazing documentary that he's always been fascinating to me, but I think it was on A and E. This documentary about him. I don't know. I'm sure. Was it, it intervention? YouTube. No. <laughs> it's not intervention, although it should have been. For his drinking and uh, his craziness. <laughs> he is an interesting character. I just find him fascinating. I just think that he um I don't know if it was wrong place, wrong time. I don't know if he was as fantastic as people say he was. Either way, he was extremely influential. Yeah. And he pissed off a lot of people. And I think that he was part of the reason why the Tsar and the Tsarina and their entire family were murdered. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It was just another, like, straw on the camel's back, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think he was a big straw. I think it had more to do with the Tsarina how you know devout oh, absolutely she was to him. there was a lot of revolution mm-hmm. they didn't like her she liked him and yeah so yeah that's my shaman yeah awesome right. cool yeah he was fine huh? this really yeah this was, i did not expect when you're like nope i have him he's good we're good don't do any crazy guys in the you know in the europe area or whatever it was that you said <laughs> i was thinking it was like overseas and i was like the fuck what how and you like guys from <laughs> europe is what i said i know <laughs> I was like, okay. I didn't want to say more than that because I thought for sure you'd guess, but... No, I I didn't guess. I honestly had no idea. I was very surprised, but very pleasantly surprised. Yay! That dude was one crazy motherfucker. Yeah, once again, I go back to something Russian. I like the Russian stuff, I guess. Yeah. Fascinating culture. I love everything about Russia except for, you know... Russians. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to say that. I was kidding. Whoa. Kidding. No, no, no. Like, I love the language. I love, you know, a lot of the culture. The architecture. The architecture. Oh, my gosh. I would... I know... I want nothing more to be in Moscow at the Red Square on a winter's day, you know? Mm -hmm. It was just... That's just, like, one of my dream things. But I just... I don't know. I I love it. I love the... You know, how hardy the Russian people are. I mean, look at how much winter they actually go through. You know what I was thinking was kind of funny? Is that uh, Rasputin? He has the word Putin. Putin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, hmm, fitting. Putin. All right. right, um, So, to kind of get into mine here, I went down so many avenues. Oh, excuse me. That beer is coming right back up. Um, I went down so many avenues and I kept trying to find all of these things. When you Google shaman or anything like that, do you know that 99% of the results that come up are for World of Warcraft. I did come across that, and I was like, what? I would. I struggled with that, and then I just found like this one small Wikipedia article that was literally like two paragraphs long. Didn't give any like names, nothing. It didn't help me at all. And so then I tried like um, spinning like the search and everything, and I was gonna. I, I was really heavily considering doing um, Geronimo. Okay. Because. That guy was pretty interesting. I felt really bad for him. Um, and then I was like, eh, no, we'll go ahead and 
not do that because then I still wasn't quite sure. So then I was like, I found this one article where they were talking about skinwalkers mm -hmm. and um, they went on to say that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who believe that um, Native American shaman who performed dangerous and evil ceremonies basically were the ones that would die and come back as skinwalkers. Oh, and then, shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I forget the word that they use. It was uh, egregious mm -hmm. or something like that. It, they performed egregious acts. Yeah, so unforgivable. Yeah, but, but in, in ceremony. Not mm -hmm. even just on their own, but just in ceremony. Egregious. Egregious. Yeah, that's fucked yeah. up. If you do something that's egregious, that yeah. means it will never be forgiven. Exactly, and that's why they become skinwalkers. Mm -hmm. And so then I found all these skinwalker stories, and I was like, this would be really cool just to sit there and read aloud because these people had some serious, like, I mean, obviously they're, like, kind of like the urban legend type thing. They're mm -hmm. telling their story. But it's, like, as I'm reading them, excuse me, guinea pig. <laughs> she's ripping up, yeah, she's ripping up her paper. Um, anyways, they just, you know, the stories I was reading them at night, and I was like, I have to sleep with the light on because some of these are absolutely really? terrifying. Like, I don't live on a reservation. The closest reservation is, like, 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. I'm terrified. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was, nice. like, we live in, like, a very interesting vibe-wise place in we America. We really do. It has a very interesting vibe to it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shit going on. It's, it's really crazy, though, because there's, you know, I'm used to growing up where you drive 10 minutes and you're on a different reservation. Yep, there's a and lot of Native with the coastal Americans. Native Americans, yeah. And that's perfectly fine. Down here, it's like they're more spaced out, but I do understand that, you know, they were more nomadic mm -hmm. down here back then. And they did move around a lot more, so that's just also interesting to me, too. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. And then I decided about an hour and a half ago that I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> oh, okay, so what are you doing? I, and you're going to love this one. I am doing the Germanatic Methodical Odin. Oh, cool. Yay. Cool. Um, of of uh, Norse mythology. Uh-huh. And um, he was basically a healer. He brought ecstasy to people, you know, just all the stuff that, like, and I went through and so I did so much. So this is not the Nordic, but Germanic version of Odin. Um, it, it, well, actually, yes, the Germanic. So not the Nordic. Um... Cool. That's interesting. But I think it could kind of be used in both. Well, they, one was adopted from the other. So That's right. Um, it's like the Germanic, the Roman adopted Greek gods. from Nordic. Nordic. There we go. Um, anyways, so in Germanic mythology, Odin is a widely revered god in Norse mythology from which stems most of the information about the god. Odin is associated with healing, death, royalty, the gallows, knowledge, battle, sorcery, poetry, frenzy, and... The runic alphabet. Cool. So this guy... He's quite pretty well accomplished. He is very, very well accomplished. Um, oh, and is the husband of a goddess, Frigg. In wider Germanic mythology and paganism, Odin was well known in Old English as Woden, in Old Saxon as Wodan, mm -hmm. and in Old High German as Wotan or Wotan. Wotan. <laughs> It's so it's funny. Wooten. There's so many different. Yeah. Like, oh my well, gosh. It's interesting though, cause he like. It's it's very like he went side from, by side. Mm -hmm. He went from one culture to another. Yeah. Um, but and like I said, I did this like ten minutes before. That's all right. <laughs> so you just gotta deal with me for he's a second. He's really interesting. Um, so he's prominently mentioned through the recorded history of the Germanic peoples from the Roman occupation, um, all the way to the Viking age and the migration period, you know, all of that, um, which you should know all about Germanic history, right? I know a little bit, actually. I know nothing. I think it's very, <laughs> very fascinating. It is, you know, I do actually know a little bit, but I'm just not like... Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not, it's not like I grew up there and I know the history. Yeah, it's like you could talk to me as if I've never heard it before and I will not have heard it before, yeah. you know. Um, blah, 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 blah. So, in old, for the Norse part of it, because like I said, like, even just like the little bit I've read, like, in a little bit, it was very, very side by side, like very parallel. Mm -hmm. So, in old Norse texts, Odin is depicted as one-eyed and long-bearded, frequently wielding a spear named Gungnir, he named his spear Gungnir, <laughs> and wearing a cloak and a broad hat. And then we have this picture up at the top 
of the Germanic um, Odin. And it's Odin the Wanderer. And he basically looks like Gandalf the Grey. Nice. He's got the big white beard, the wide-brimmed hat. It's not a pointy hat, but it's just a sit-on-like-an old-school fisherman's hat. Cool. Um, and then he does have his his stick, his um, spear. and it looks like Ansel Adams to me. Ansel Adams? Mm-hmm. Really? The photographer? That was him, right? I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Anyways, no, to me, he just looks like Gandalf the, the Grey. Not the white, though. The Grey. <laughs> um, so that was very similar. He was often accompanied by his animal companions, the wolves Jerry and Frecky, and the ravens Huggin, Huggin and Munnin, <laughs> who would bring him information from all over the place. Um, and he rides the flying eight-legged steed Selpenir. Mm-hmm. Sleepy, Slipen, Slipen, Slipenir, 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 Sleepnir, Sleepnir, Sleepnir me, Sleep with me, Sleep on me, Sleep. For it, banana boats. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. <laughs> um, so, he has a particular... Oh, okay, yeah. That's Ansel Adams. Okay. <laughs> I never knew what he looked like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting character. Um, okay, so, in the text, he seeks greater knowledge and is a lot of the times in disguise. Um... He would often make wagers with his wife about outcomes of exploits. Oh. Which, I mean, family that gambles together stays together. That's right. right? (laughs) Okay. um, So, in the old text, Odin is given primacy over female beings associated with the battlefield, like the Valkyrias. Okay. um, And oversees Valhalla, where he receives half of those who die in battle. The other half are chosen by the goddess Freya for her afterlife location. So that's just another thing. It's, um, I almost kind of wonder, like, with these old, like, godly, you know, stories and mythologies, I, I wonder if they took into account that these gods might be picking who comes to them, and mm. that's why they die in battle. Interesting. Or if it's just they just thought that maybe it was just, you know, was obviously the you're not... sign of honor was yeah. to die in battle. Exactly. But I also wonder, like, well, maybe they're just like, yeah, I like that one. Let's just, you know, beep, you're done. Maybe. Maybe. It's just one of those things. Um, Origin and theories. Um, I'm getting all of this off of Wikipedia, and the thing is... Wikipedia is is awesome. That's where I got all my stuff for... Oh my gosh, I know. It is so incredible. Um, There was something I did see on here earlier that... There would be people who were injured in battle, and I am so not put together. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm enjoying this. Um, there are people that would be injured in battle, and they would call out to their god Odin, mm-hmm. and magically they'd be able to get back up again. And, you know, these people going out on the battlefields, they're fighting for their god Odin, who was going to, they were going to reap all of these benefits because they fought in the name of this god and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, by Odin, they could do no wrong as long as they were fighting and they would be rewarded heavily. So I forgot where I was going with that, but it was just really interesting to me because I've always been a huge fan of, like, ancient times and things like that. Mainly, mainly like, ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I really like ancient Rome. Um, but just the way that it's, it's kind of, like, mirroring the way it is now. It's, like, people do things for their gods. But then back then, people were still doing things for their gods. But back then, a, like, everybody was a lot more extreme. Um, it was just everybody thought that hey you are you know being chosen for this position to do this one thing because you were born you know a peasant you were meant to stay a peasant and you know fight in the gladiator coliseum and you know all this other stuff and being sold off into slavery they all regarded their gods so highly and their people so lowly it was just i'm rambling now but it was really (laughs) It was really always just been so interesting to me. Um, I'm really fascinated with um, ancient cultures as well. Yeah, it's just... I I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, there's a tab on here called Attestations? 
attestations. Let me see. Attestations. Attestations. People are attesting. Oh, okay. Let me, let me get a testify. <laughs> so, um. I feel like I need a tambourine. Oh, yeah. A tambourine would be nice. Or it's we could time just, to testify. Or we could just play the new TLC song. <laughs> yes. It's so bad. No, oh my God. It was so awful. Let's just call it TC. Let's uh, call it what it is. God, I just wanted to blow my brains out and now I can't blow my brains out. Um, so there's a lot of, um, it seems like there's a lot of text for the Germanic Odin as to what happened between the Roman era and the migration period mm -hmm. that they think might be like pretty legit but they're not really sure. So the earliest records of the Germanic peoples were recorded by the Romans and in these works Odin is frequently referred to via a process known as Interpretato Romana um, as the Roman god Mercury. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the first clear example of this occurs in the Roman history's late first century work Germania where writing about the religion of the Subi. Suibi. Subi. A confederation of Germanic peoples. That's a, I guess what they're called. He comments that among the gods, Mercury is the one they principally worship. They regard it as a religious duty to offer him on fixed days human as well as other sacrificial victims. Hercules and Mars, they appease by animal offerings of the permitted kind. Um, and then they add that a portion of the uh, Germanic peoples also venerate Isis. They still did fucking sacrifices. That's so crazy to me. Mm -hmm. That's why they, um, oh, we won't get into it. No. Uh, I was going to, nope. Nope. You know where I'm going. Yep, I know where you're going. Fuck. Anyways, um, so in this instance, uh, the writer refers to the god Odin as Mercury, Thor as Hercules, and tear as mars mm -hmm. and the identity of the isis has been debated so they're not quite sure who that's going to be um so it's basically they'll go ahead and sacrifice people like say my daughter is sick so here have this virgin and sometimes it would work out other times it wouldn't i would imagine but the times that it worked out made it to where they were like hey let's keep doing this or if it didn't work out then they thought that they didn't give the right person yeah exactly and that's another thing that i found too is in like the little bit of reading i've done over it i um saw an article where it had like just a few of the stories on odin mm -hmm. and you know the fact that he did have the healing powers and that he did um you know do all these other great things and so obviously if you have all of these stories about how great they are why wouldn't you want to keep that greatness alive, you know? Yeah. So, like I said, there wasn't much to it, but no, I think Odin really fascinating. is really fascinating. And my story would have been a lot shorter if I did Geronimo. Uh, it was really you frustrating. With that one, huh? I did really struggle with that one. It was really, it was really hard. Uh, I don't want to do any more hard ones. <laughs> I guess the funny thing is you never really know what's hard until you go to research it. Well, and that's the thing, too, is I thought it would be easier once I got, like, the definition of um, shamanism down and how diverse it was country to country. I thought it would be a lot easier, but the problem is with a lot of the cultures that I found, their shamans were mythical. They weren't, like, real people, so it was harder to find, like, real accounts of these things unless it was, like, modern day, like, it just happened last year, which I didn't want that. That's boring. Yeah. Anybody can go find that. <laughs> but it was just, it was, it was a story. So what subject wouldn't be hard to you? I was thinking like, uh, like nature, something, something mysterious in nature. Um, There's a lot of natural mysteries. I like there. that one. I had a couple of other ideas written down too. That's your Oh, uh, I didn't write them or down. Or do we want to, um, discuss them later? I think mysteries in nature would be really cool. Like the um, exploding rocks. Those are fun. <laughs> um, mysteries in nature is cool. I also had an idea of um, like twisted backstories of haunted locations. Okay. Because ghosts are fucking badass. I'm writing And a then note. I also had like a mythical creatures one or like a, 
legendary creatures one or I have I, I do have a lot of ideas I think for me I think I shaman felt a little more narrow mm-hmm. and I think the broader subjects are okay. definitely easier so what do you want to do next week I don't I don't know should we uh, throw all the ideas in a hat and <laughs> that's what we should do Every time we have a right idea, we write it down on a piece of paper and we put it into mm-hmm. a box. I'll text you. And then at the end of every episode, we can pick it out of the box and that's when we do next. That's exciting. I like it. Oh my gosh. This is groundbreaking, I am telling you right now. So are we going to make it a mystery for what we do next week? Yeah, because we're just going to have to... Figure it out. Figure out what we drew. Um, I'm thinking what we can do is, since we're not doing it at the end of this episode here, is we can get it all written out and then have it posted to Facebook some point, um, probably like next weekend or something. Cool. We'll have the entire week to think of all of these crazy ideas, and then we can go from there. Because we'll have an episode, or actually... This is the second, so this one will come out next week because we recorded two in a row again. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. So um, it'll be the weekend that this episode comes out. Okay. Uh, we can go ahead and draw what we want to do. Okay. Yeah, that was a great idea. I like it. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else we need to no. cover or discuss or... No, I really like... Uh, I'd like us to get a little more present to... Um, people like in front of people i guess is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. so tell your friends tell your friends mm-hmm. and we maybe like one friends. day we'll have merch yes that'd be cool i've got that vinyl cutting machine i could i could make us bumper stickers yeah, or window stickers for sure that'd vinyl cool. stickers yay cool merch is fun Ooh, and then we could make t-shirts with just big penises on them that is a mystery it is a mystery no one will ever know <laughs> Why are you walking around with penis okay. on your shirt? Why aren't you walking around with a penis on your like, shirt? I'm a stupid and instead of a finger pointing, it's going to be a penis. It's going to be a penis. Penis pointing that way. Funny. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much. All right, bye. Let us, yeah, tell your friends. Let us know if you want merch because that's probably something we could, if if we just do stickers, that's something I could start working mm-hmm. on. Like, Or maybe we, there like might blue. even be, yeah, let's, let's look into that. Let's do a little more before we start saying exactly because there might be. Really inexpensive ways to do it. You know, like a piece-by-piece yeah. piece basis or something. Well, so. that's what I'm kind of thinking is like a piece-by-piece. Piece. If somebody wants it, then I'll make it for them and they pay me for it. Because my vinyl cutter cuts really fast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll talk so. about it. All right, sounds cool. good. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. All right, bye. We love you. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Brittany here. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to another episode of the All Things Strange podcast. I just wanted to let you know that we are all across social media doing everything that we can to get the word out. We do have our email um, all set up, so if you want to set in suggestions or if we're not on a platform that you want to listen to us on, I can do my best to get us on there. So the email is allthingsstrangepodcast at gmail.com. We are also All Things Strange Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. On Twitter, we are All Strange Pod um, because apparently All Things Strange Podcast was way too many letters for that specific platform. I mean, you only get so many. Um, But please go follow us on all those social medias. I'm going to try to be a lot more active on them because I want to hear from you guys and I want you to like see what we're doing all the time and everything like that. Make sure to share the posts with your friends, like, subscribe, rate, comment, be a part of our little family here because we want to grow. We want things to be amazing for you guys. We really do appreciate you Um, with our like four listeners out there. I know we don't have very many, but it's cool. You're one of us. You're, you know, you're here with us at the beginning. We love you. We appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. And we'll talk to you later.